Let us see you and hear you, Lord. Let us learn about you. Thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Oh, yeah. Good? Bad? Good. Okay. You always look to the sound booth for the thumbs up. That's universal code. All right, we think, we think we have fixed the camera, and I don't have to sit anymore. That is a wonderful thing for someone with ADD. Um, so I'm going to wander like I used to. And uh, assuming that it works, I will continue. If you see me have to go grab a chair, it's because the back people have informed me of such. Let's, uh, let's open to John 20. Uh, we're going to get there eventually, but there's a lot of preamble uh, today, and, and, and you'll understand why as we go. Um, but let's just pray as we start. God, thank you for who you are. God, as we consider the implications of Good Friday and now Easter Sunday, God, we are overwhelmed. Your goodness and your grace, your love, your mercy is on display. And God, may we understand that all of this has, has nothing to do with what we deserve. And in fact, it goes against what we actually deserve. And so we just want to say thank you this morning. And as, as we remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel and, and some very familiar Bible passages pray that you would speak through those words, which as Ernie mentioned, are, are your words, not our own. And we thank you for that, that we can trust your words. Amen. I'm clicking here, sorry. Um, so on Friday, normally what we would do is we would gather together uh, here and we would have uh, a morning Good Friday service. And, and this year that wasn't, uh, wasn't an option with everything going on. So, so we did send out the ministerial uh, service for you, and I hope that encouraged you. Um, but for me, when Easter Sunday comes, the, the, the biggest excitement of that is that you were kind of left hanging on Friday. And then you have just this incredible news uh, of the resurrection because I, I didn't get to preach on Good Friday. Basically, what we're going to do today is we're going to mush them together and we're going to talk about the cross, we're going to talk about why Jesus came. We're going to talk about the whole story of the gospel because the reality is this is the most significant season on our calendar. I mean, Christmas, of course, is, is huge too, but these two days, Good Friday and Easter, are, that's where the scripture is leading us to. It's the climax. It's, it's the whole point of everything for us that we would see that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. This is something that... Uh, that while you may know very well, doesn't mean that you don't need to be reminded. Doesn't mean that, that I shouldn't be reminded. There's a book, um, I've mentioned this before, but it's called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And he says in there that you need to preach the gospel to yourselves every day. And isn't that the truth? We need to preach to ourselves 
the good news of Jesus Christ. It, it can be so easy to wake up in the morning and to just go on with our work day, the tasks that we have appointed to us, the things on the calendar, the, the job that is expected that we do. And I think every morning we probably need to be reminded of why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Surely it's not just to go to work, to make money, to buy things. We know so much more from Scripture, but, but it can be so easy to forget. And so I want to spend this morning reminding us of this story. The other aspect of when I was preparing this and I was considering all this, this is the first time uh, for Good Friday, Easter Sunday, that we are live streaming. And so we really don't know how far this goes. But what an opportunity to share the gospel. What an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is. Perhaps somebody is watching at home, at their computer, or on their phone, or something that has never heard the message of Jesus. Well, we can't hear it enough ourselves. So let's tell it again. And if there are those that don't know, if you're sitting at home and you haven't heard, and, and if I go maybe too fast and, and, and you have questions the beautiful thing about our world is that we're only an email away. And so if you have any questions or clarifications you would like in, in regards to the story of the gospel that I'm going to try and condense into about a half an hour, please, by all means, get a hold of me and I'll let you know. So the Bible starts um, on page one, of course, right, with the creation of the world. And that's where the gospel message starts as well, is we read that God creates, uh, he creates the waters, and he creates the land, and he creates the plants and the animals, and, and he creates everything, ultimately culminating with his greatest, the, the pinnacle of creation, and that is what? You and I. Mankind, God creates him. In, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says this, Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We as humans are very set apart from the rest of creation. We are created in God's image. And this doesn't mean that, that we look like him necessarily. What this means is that we are his image bearers, that we contain what, within us the things that are within God, that we can love, that we can show mercy and kindness, that we have creativity. And not only that, but God says to rule. He creates everything else, and then he creates us as his image bearers, and he says, now, now you rule the rest, have dominion over everything. I give you authority, almost, almost in a sense, to be like God, that we would do for him what he has called us to do, rule the earth, take care of it, steward it. Well, if you know anything about scripture, you know this didn't last very long. The next page of most of your Bibles, depending on how big your print is, but on the next page, it all falls apart. Humans decide very quickly that they know better than God. Or maybe we should say it this way, is they think God is holding back from them something that they should know. 
Really, it's a lack of trust in their creator. And so they do basically the one thing that God said not to do. And sin enters the world. And, and I remember as a kid thinking to myself, man, if I was Adam, like, I never would have done that. Right? Anybody else? No? Just me? Okay. Uh, all that did, of course, I didn't realize it at the time. I was probably told it, but didn't take it to heart. Is All that does is show the own arrogance in my own heart. You know, oh, everyone else would have done it, but I wouldn't. All that does is show that I probably would have done it sooner than they had. It can be real easy to point the finger and say, if only, or why did they, or how could they? And and it's just as easy today to point at somebody else. Why would you make that decision? You're where you are because you made that decision. That's your own fault. And we forget that the only reason that we have anything that we have is the mercy and the goodness of God. You can make every logically right decision that you want, but ultimately, we're not in control. We're not in control. God is. But we can disobey God. And that's what we see, right, you know, on page three, we'll call it. And then the rest of the Old Testament goes on to explain this, this, this fractured relationship between God and man. We see that when Adam and Eve sinned, that they were cast out of the garden and that there were consequences for that. One of those consequences was death. Genesis uh, 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat. Sorry, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. There's now physical death. We were never created with the intent of dying. It's a consequence of sin. But more than that is there's this spiritual uh, reality that we face now too, is while we physically will die and our physical body will be no more, is we are created to be eternal beings. And so our soul will live on forever. The question is, where are we going to end up? The Bible teaches us that, that there's two options, that we can go to be with God forever and eternity in heaven. The other option the Bible teaches us is called hell and a place of eternal torment where we, where we will have to endure the punishment for the sins that we have committed. Before I get ahead of myself here, the rest of the Old Testament then is, is that story being fleshed out and, and actually showing that no matter who it is, whether it's God's chosen people, God chooses Abraham and says, Out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. And and he promises that ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring someone, and we know that person to be Jesus now, but he says I'm going to bring someone who will fix everything through your lineage. Well, it's great news, except what you read about Abraham is mostly what we read about everybody else in the Bible. They don't trust God. He doesn't trust God. He tries to go out of his... Instead instead of trusting God, he decides, I'm going to make my own way to make that plan that God said happen. And we're all so guilty of that. And it goes from him to the Israelites wandering through Egypt where they see miracle after miracle of what God is doing. And and it's great for a few minutes. and And then they 
turn away from God again, and they go, man, if only we were back in Egypt where life was so good. God has to remind them, no. I'm reading through Deuteronomy right now, and, and basically all Deuteronomy is, is God saying, do these things so that you do not go back to live as slaves. Do not, because remember what it was like, and God has to remind them because they are so quick to forget. In our men's group, we've been going through judges, and we read all about these judges who come and they deliver the people of Israel out of their own sin and bondage only to fail very miserably, to choose their own way instead of trusting in God, even though God does amazing and crazy things through them. Then we get to the, the kings. In, in Samuel, they, the, the Israelite nation says, man, we want to be, be like everybody else. Give us a king so that we can follow him. That was never God's intent, but, but God allows this to happen and, and it doesn't take long for you to watch this lineage completely fall apart. As if you make a list of the good kings versus the bad kings, and I use that term good a little bit loosely, but there's not very many of them. King David, who, who is one of the few uh, good, though certainly he has many, many problems uh, in his own life throughout Scripture, he makes this realization in Psalm 51, verse 5. He says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David comes to the realization that there's a sin problem, and it's not just because he sinned when he was 17 or 26 or 37. That he recognized that from his birth, when he came into the world, he already had sin in him because he is a byproduct of sinful parents. And that's the reality that we all face. You know, we say, I say this a lot, is you don't have to teach your children, those of you who are parents of young children right now or perhaps have parented children in the years past, is you don't have to teach them what is bad. You have to teach them what is good and right. We innately, as people, we seek after rebellion. We seek after selfishness. We want what we want, and no one's going to stop us from accomplishing that. That's the reality of our hearts, and that is a problem. And so, like I said, physical death exists, but now there's the spiritual consequence of that as well. But Paul reminds us in Romans 6.23 of the bad news and the good news. The first of the the bad. He says, the wages of sin is death. Because you have sin in your life, you, you have to die. However, the last half of the verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The whole of the Old Testament is leading us to this moment, right? This, this moment where the Messiah will come, where the one who can pay the penalty for our sin will come. And we'll do what God's planned to do. Already in Genesis 3.15, we see the first prophecy of that. And then all through scripture is littered with many, many prophecies. God promising, I'm going to send one. I'm going to send one who will be able to stand in the gap. Because God's desire is that we would be in relationship with him. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God loves us, and he didn't just let us choose our own way and then go, oh, I guess there's nothing I can do and wash his hands of it. God said, no, I'm going to make a plan, 
I want to redeem these people. I want them to come back into relationship with me. As the New Testament opens and we start reading about this person of Jesus, we find out that in just his short 33 years on the earth that over 351 prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled. Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could find redemption. But there's a question here that needs to be addressed. And if you've grown up in the church, this might just seem like normal stuff. We've heard this lots. But if you're watching uh, at home, perhaps, and you've never heard this or you don't understand what this means, the question is, why is Jesus qualified to pay the penalty for my sin? See, I can't pay the penalty for my sin because according to Scripture, the penalty of that is death, is, is an eternity in hell separated from God because I can't pay for the wrongs that I've done. Well, there's a reason that in the Old Testament, there's some very specific prophecies about Jesus. One of them that we look at every Christmas is Isaiah 7, 14. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Right? The, the old-fashioned word that we used is immaculate conception. Right? Is that Jesus was going to be born miraculously, impossibly. And that's not just to kind of show that he's special. The reason for that is to show that the, the sin nature that is passed down from generation to generation stops with Jesus. He's not conceived of a man and a woman. He's placed in a woman miraculously so that he does not share that same sin nature that you and I share that came down from our parents. Jesus was perfect. And then Jesus comes and he grows up and, and he lives this life. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read uh, much about his life. And his life was leading to this moment. If you remember back in the Old Testament, there's this thing that was instituted called the sacrificial system. It was God's way of showing people that you have sin in your life and that sin needs to be dealt with. And so an animal would be sacrificed. And the idea here was to show us that two things, that blood had to be spilled for our sins and that it, we couldn't pay for that ourselves. There was a substitute necessary. And this whole sacrificial system was pointing ultimately to Jesus, the one who had no sin in his blood. The one who could sacrifice himself as our substitute so that we could be forgiven, so that he would become the go-between between me and God. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see me and my sin. He sees Christ's righteousness covering me. That, that's what the whole of the gospel is pointing to. And it's summed up so simply in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, For our sake he made him, that's God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He paid the penalty, though he didn't deserve it. He did not deserve to die. He's the only one that ever lived that didn't deserve that. Now, I want to correct a theology that's 
roaming around in our modern evangelicalism that's so, so dangerous. So many people are focusing on what Jesus' earthly goal was to show us what it means to follow after God. Now that, that is true. He is showing us and presenting to us, here's what it means to follow after God. Here's what it means to live righteously. But that was not his goal. His goal was the reconciliation of mankind. So many people are teaching now that, that Jesus ended up being crucified on the cross basically because we just refused to listen to how he wanted to live. But when you read the Old Testament, it's clear. I read in our last update video from Isaiah 53, and if you read Isaiah 52 and 53, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, his crucifixion, his death, his atonement, it's all written right there for us in the past tense. God has planned this. This is going to happen. This is God's plan for redemption and reconciliation. Is God, Jesus wasn't just on the earth to go, oh, this is how you should live. He goes, I'm going to pay the penalty so that you can come back into relationship with God. And yes, I am going to show you how to live. But first you need a new heart. And that's what scripture teaches us. And that's so, so important for us to grasp. So the question becomes, what do do we do? Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross, he, he has paid the penalty for our sins, but what do I do with that information? Paul writes to us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's all that you have to do. There's a gift of salvation where Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross for you. Paul reminds us again in Romans that while we were enemies of God, that Christ died for us. He didn't die for you because he knew that you were worth saving. He died for you because he wanted you. He wanted to be in relationship with you. Not because me or you or someone else is super special, but because God has created us and God loves us desperately. And so Jesus is offering this to you and saying, I have paid the penalty. He's offering this present of salvation. Will you take it? And Paul says, all you have to do is believe in your heart that God did raise him from the dead, which we're going to read about in just a minute here. And confess with your mouth. Make, we, we talk about it this way in our family. We say we make Jesus the Lord of our life. He becomes most important. That no matter what we do, no matter what our jobs are, no matter the career path that we follow, no matter how simple or small anything is, that we want Jesus to be first in everything. And then when we do mess up, when we do things that are wrong, when we say things that are hurtful, when when we sin, we need to repent of that. Turn in the other direction and run towards God. I saw a lot of posts on social media over this last week about people wanting to change the name of Friday from Good Friday because they say Good Friday is an insult to Jesus. It's not good. Well, the scripture argues. Scripture says this is actually the best news ever. 
it's tragic in the sense that it had to come to this because we were so obstinate and ignorant and refused to follow God's way. But it is good because it is the only way that we could ever be redeemed to God. And so is Friday good? Is Good Friday good? Yes. Yes, it is. And this leads us to John 20. So let's read this together. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb, the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the, at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Is Friday good? Only because Easter follows it. If Easter doesn't follow it, then it's very somber and very depressing. But this was God's plan of salvation that he was working out. And it even says the disciples, they didn't understand this yet. Right? They, they weren't expecting Jesus to die. They were expecting Jesus to be elevated to the status of king and free them from Roman tyranny. And they didn't get it. For us, when we consider these things, Jesus rising from the dead is the most pivotal moment that we could have because it shows us that death is not the end. It just quantifiably shows us. When we die, we will live again. Is there greater news? I don't think so. We will get an opportunity to be with God forever because he paid for our penalty on the cross. He covered our sins. 
And he rises again so that we would know that we can be with him forever. All we need to do, as Paul's reminded us in Romans, is repent, turn towards him and believe, make him Lord of our life. And when we do that, something unique happens. And this is because God is showing us that while that was the climax of the Bible, and while God was always planning to deal with sin in a very specific way through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that wasn't all of his plan. That there's more yet. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you haven't read through the book of Acts in one sitting, it'll take a little while, but it is worth it. When you sit down and when you see that the disciples still haven't kind of figured all these things out, Jesus is risen from the dead. They've actually seen him and and been ministered to by him, but they don't really know what's coming. And, And Jesus tells them, you will receive the Holy Spirit because I have mission and I have purpose for you. Not only have we been saved, not only when we die will we get to go to be with Jesus for eternity if we make him Lord of our lives, but he has given us purpose now on this earth. Ernie talks about it this way. He says we're on God's team. Right? God picks us and then he gives us a position and says go and do this. And the crazy part is he uniquely qualifies us for exactly what he's going to call us to. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that we would have an understanding of what is right and that we would desire to do what is right. Paul talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You've been given a new heart. You can now follow after Jesus. Because you have been given the Holy Spirit who will convict you of what is righteous and what is good. The good news continues. It's it's now not up to me to try and just do what's right all the time. All I have to do is submit to the Holy Spirit. He will show me what is right, what is good, what I should do. This problem that we've talked about here of of the sin nature that is within me, it's still a problem. And, And we all know this. We still do selfish things. We still choose our way instead of what's right. But when we have the Holy Spirit in us is now there's a battle taking place and a battle that can be won. That doesn't mean that we'll never sin between now and when I die. It means I no longer have to. I'm no longer obligated to give in to my own sinful nature, but now I can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give me strength that I would resist temptation, that I would do what is right He has not left us alone in this battle. The disciples don't want Jesus to leave. And Jesus starts telling them that he's going to have to leave. And, they, and they're like, no, we need you here. And Jesus says, it's actually better that I go. Because then the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so for us, when we think of it this way, Jesus, he came to the earth with this singular goal in mind, the restoration of humanity by his blood on the cross. 
And then he rises again to show that he's conquered death. And then he says, now you are going to be given the Holy Spirit so that you have purpose and so that you are equipped and strengthened to do the mission that I'm calling you to do. And what is that mission? It's very, very simple. Go and make disciples. We are called to love people in the name of Jesus, to declare to them who Jesus is. We are called to show them that with God we have far greater purpose than anything we could have ever imagined before that. C.S. Lewis talked about it this way where he says that there's something missing within our hearts, something that nothing on earth can fulfill, that only God can. And his argument is we were not actually created for this world, we were created to be with him for forever. And so many have found that to be true. No matter how hard we seek after the things of the world, no matter how much money we acquire, no matter how many possessions, no matter how much fame, it doesn't fix us. It doesn't heal us. The crazy part is you could have absolutely nothing and and live in the slums somewhere and have no finances, no clothing on your back. And you could be the richest person in the world and inside your own heart you still have the same issues. You still have the same problems. You still have the same hurts. Nothing fixes it except for Jesus. When we're given this new heart, when the Holy Spirit comes into us and he teaches us and shows us and convicts us of how we ought to live, he starts to make the world look less appealing and godliness look more appealing. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and is perfect. And so many people ask, what's God's will for my life? It says it right there. It just doesn't say it quite as specifically as we want it to. We want it to say, what's my job supposed to be? What house am I supposed to buy? Who am I supposed to marry, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And God's saying, you're kind of missing the point here. Don't buy into what the world is trying to give you, but recognize that you can have your mind transformed so that you can see everything in, in a different light, with different perspective. So that where you live, that doesn't really matter as much but how you live, what you're going to do, the purpose behind why you do what you do. This is what's so important. The disciples believe at varying levels uh, at first that Jesus is risen from the dead. Thomas, which if you read on in the text, shows he doesn't even believe, says, unless I actually physically see him and put my fingers in the holes that are in his hands, I'm not going to believe. This idea of resurrection is a pretty crazy idea. And if we've grown up in the church, we can maybe think this is so simple and so normal and we try and share this with someone and they go, but that just doesn't make any sense. That's true. And so what we need to remember is that it's not up to me to save anybody because I'm never going to be able to do that. I just share them, share with them who Jesus is and I allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And if God is convicting them, they will see the truth of this and, and they will respond to that. Our job is simply to be God's ambassador while we're here on the earth. 
we sang it just a little bit ago. Whether I'm here until Christ comes back or whether I die in the next moments, days, weeks, months, it doesn't matter. I'm going to live with him as the center of my life. I have purpose and I have meaning. That's the greatest thing that we could ever be given. Purpose and meaning in a lost and broken and dark and lonely world. Because we know why we exist. We know where we're going. We have hope that nothing can take away from us. The resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb shows us something far greater than anything the world could ever offer to us. So all we need to do is respond to that. All we need to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. If we do that, Scripture says we will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And as Jerry Bridges said, this is something that, that even as I'm sitting in my office writing these words, I, I mean, I've been a pastor for 17 years or something like that. Like, I know these things. I read about them all the time. And yet you sit there and you write it and you remind yourself and you just stop in this moment and go, I just don't, I can't even fathom God's love for me. It's so amazing his grace, his mercy, his love for us is unlike anything anyone else can give to us. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If, if you know all of these things, that's great. I'm thankful for that. But I do want to ask you to consider what difference does it make in your life today and tomorrow and the next day. If you haven't heard these things or haven't believed these things before, I would just encourage you to pick up the Bible and read through it. Just, just Even just simply a short little book like the book of Mark in the New Testament. Read what Jesus has done for you. And consider, is this, is this true? Obvious, obviously, we believe that it is. And if you want or need someone to talk to or questions to be answered is that's really why the church exists. We want to share with you who this Jesus is, not just theoretically, but practically. We want to invite you into a family where we love each other and we care for each other because we believe that's what God has called us to do. And we're going to love everyone because God first loved us. So just before we spend some time in communion, I just want to simply remind each of us this, is preach the gospel to yourself every day because we need to hear it every day. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you that Jesus went to the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sins so that we might have reconciliation between us and you, that that relationship can be restored. And God, this morning we celebrate that the grave is empty, that you have conquered death. And because of that, that you have given us meaning and purpose every day of our lives, that as long as we have breath, that you 
are calling us and giving us direction. So God, in these coming days and weeks, would these things remain fresh in our head? Would we preach the gospel to ourselves over and over so that we can remember that we are called to share the good news of Jesus with others? We are called to be your ambassadors so that people would see Jesus in us because there's nothing else the world can offer us that can compete with that. So God, would you help us to stay focused on that? Would the things of the world, the money and possessions and fame and all these things that we sometimes crave and long to run after, would those just seem so empty to us? Or would we run after you? God, thank you for this message of the gospel that is written all through the pages of Scripture. We love you. Amen. What we're just going to do now, and normally we would do this on Friday at our Good Friday service, um, but as we're going to take communion together uh, on Easter Sunday, which I don't think there's any rule against, so I think we're okay there. But I want this to just be these couple of moments here where we just we read a couple of verses in Scripture. We remind ourselves of everything that we have talked about, and then we just quiet our hearts for a few minutes, and we consider that Jesus died on the cross for me, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that we can find salvation in nobody else, only in Jesus' sacrifice for us. And as we consider that, and as we let the truth of that gospel speak to us, then we'll eat and we'll drink together and we'll celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming again and that one day we will get to be with him for all of eternity. So let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you can uh, turn there as well. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now remember, they don't really, the disciples haven't really grasped all this yet. But Jesus is preparing them, and I, I think he's reminding us too, is that we need to regularly slow down and preach the gospel to ourselves because it's so easy to just get on with our normal lives. Step back. Consider this. When we come together, consider the body of Jesus hanging on the cross for us, the only atonement for our sins that when his blood is spilt, that it is all representative of, of everything the Old Testament was leading us to, perfect blood that could atone for our sins so that we could be with him forever. And I think that's why in verse 27, he then says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
again, in a couple of months here, we're going to get to that passage and deal with every nitty-gritty detail that we find in there. But what we can just see from an observation is that if we don't step back and consider what we're doing, and it just becomes some tradition that we do every month, it loses all of its meaning. Traditions are good, but only if we remember why we do the things that we do. And so this morning, when you hold this bread and as we pray for it in just a moment, I want you to consider the depth of God's sacrifice, his love for you, that there was nothing that God didn't offer us for our salvation. Let's pray. God, as we hold... These, these just little crackers in our hand that represents this bread. This represents this bo- your body broken for us. God, would we be reminded there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. It's all been accomplished for us through Jesus' sacrifice. God, we thank you that Jesus willingly went to the cross, a death that he did not deserve so that he could be our substitute. Would we hold these things in our hearts and would we remind ourselves in our minds every day of the good news of Jesus Christ? Let's eat this in remembrance of him. Amen. And now for this cup that we have. We look at it and we are reminded that it is representative of Jesus' blood. That we could not pay the penalty for our own sins. But that only Jesus could. We are reminded that Jesus lived that perfect life. That he came to this earth not simply just to show us how to live. But to atone for our sins. That is the purpose for which he came. God, we are overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your love and your care for us. And as we drink this together in just a moment, we are reminded there is no other name that can lead us to salvation. God, we confess that you, that you are Lord. And I pray that we would understand that in our hearts, that we would choose to follow after you despite everything the world throws at us because none of it will satisfy. So we drink this in remembrance that you bled for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could go be with you for all of eternity. Let's drink in remembrance of him. God, as we wrap up our time together here this morning, we end not on a somber note, but on a celebration. Knowing that the tomb is empty, knowing that when we die, that that is not the end, knowing that we can be with you for all of eternity, 
knowing that Jesus is going to come again and make all wrongs right. There's no greater news that has ever been told. And so we celebrate that this Easter morning. And we remind ourselves that you are risen. Amen. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. It's been a pleasure to see you. We look forward to seeing you next week, hopefully again. And uh, just a reminder to register each week. And we hope you have a wonderful week. If you have any prayer requests, please do let us know.